and we're learning Hayyam Yoyim. Now we spent the last four Sundays learning the Hayyam Yoyim of Tezayin Tevis. We spent the last four Sundays learning the Hayyam Yoyim of Tezayin Tevis. There's one more detail which I'm not sure how to address, and that is we, we, we learned the Hayyam Yoyim. I think we learned the Hayyam Yoyim, right? We explained it to, to the best of our ability. But what remains to be explained is what is Zayhar, what is Medrish, and what is Tilimitrer. And I know very little about one, even less about the second, and nothing about the third. So, now I'm going <laughs> to... What am I supposed to do with that? I want to just say one thing. The Rebbe Nitzamach Tzedek is talking to Al-Khasid, to the handle, right? Let's read it. Let's read the Hayyam Yayim again. Oysi Yisarav. The Tzamach Tzedek HaGizak, the Rebbe Handlin, of Yechidis. The first entry on page Yud Beis. Page Yud Beis, after the page. The Tzamach Tzedek said to Rebbe Handel, the Chassid Rebbe Handel, on Yechidis. Zayhar is Meraimam Dan Nefesh. Zayhar lifts up the spirit, the soul, the Nishab. Madrish is Meraimam Dan Nefesh. Madrish inspires it arouses the heart. When Tehillim mitred and Tehillim with tears, washed oistikli, it washes, it cleanses the vessel. So the Rebbe Tzamaqtarik is giving Rebbe Handel a derech for his life, really, a yechidis. A yechidis is a lifelong message. Tzamaqtarik is telling Rebbe Handel how to serve the Abish to the duration of his life. And he mentions three books, Zayhar, Medrash, and Tillim Mitterer. is a special safer that's not available in all bookstores. A regular Tillim is available all over, but Tillim Mitterer is not that easy to get your hands on. Um, the point is this. In other words, let me share with you what I can. Limud. There are books of study. And the different areas of study. There's Nigle, there's Chesidus, and there's maybe even Kabbalah. People can learn different types of works of Tera for the purposes of learning and being informed, understanding, knowing. Knowledge empowers, knowledge gives Koyach, as somebody mentioned in the previous class. Dr. Rebbe says it's the basic picky of us. A person says, I don't know what an Aved is, I've never learned. It says in the of Talmud. Someone makes a mistake because they haven't learned. It's a sin. If you could have learned. It's brought also in the Chesanen. If you don't know what bracha to make on a food, you make a shahakal. But if you should know, and you're lazy, you can't, you can't eat the food. <laughs> That's the din. If a person is a simple person that doesn't know, doesn't know what this is. If he did, he can make a shahakal near Bidvari. It works for all brachas. But if you should have learned, and you had the mind and the time and the possibility, and you were lazy, you can't eat the food. If a person is uninformed because they were lazy to learn, it's, it's a sin. So people study to acquire knowledge. Knowledge also adds premius. The truth is, knowing makes you more of a Jew. It says in Ayayim Yayim, based on the Chazal, One cannot be a Chassid if they're ignorant. Chassidus is Ava Vayida, no question. Chassidus is passion. But if you have no knowledge, you're not informed, you have nothing to be Chassidic about. What's the expression of your Chassidus if you have no knowledge? So people study for the purposes of knowledge to know. Knowledge, knowledge is good. It's very important. The Rebbe here is 
giving the Hendlaita, the Rebbe the Tzemach Tzedek, to learn Zayhar and Medrash and say Tillim with tears, this is not about knowledge. This is about Avoidah. This is about serving the Abishter. You know, there are Yidin who read Sforim that they know by heart. From the Reb It's a whole Arich Sasipur. I told you the story more than once. So I did a Santa Maiz. It's a very interesting story. The Rebbe Rashab spent more than half of the year, Samach Gimel, 1903, in Vienna, Austria. He was there, Mamish, for seven months, I think it says. He was there for a very, very long time in Vienna, Austria. And he was there for a variety of reasons. For health reasons, for gallus reasons, for a number of different reasons. The Rebbe said he was in Vienna. The Friedrich was in Lubavitch, but he would periodically visit his father. And some of those visits were, were protracted, were long visits. He could stay for a week or for two or for three and so forth. And the Rebbe Rashab did a lot of very interesting things. There's a very famous story how he traveled from Vienna to a small city where a Yid had just passed away, a big Choshev, a Choshev Arova, a Daichish Arova, and he made, he made, he bought clothing for the Kale, he made two Shidduch. He made a Shidduch for one Bachar, he was there by the Chasana. And when the Almana, he came to Menachem but he was sitting here, the man just passed away, and then he came back, I'm a Avaiter Karev, he said, I'm a distant relative, I'm a Himmelmeis. But a lot of very, very interesting things happened during that period of time that he was in Vienna, Austria. He didn't wear a shtaimel. The Rebbe Rashab only wore a shtaimel Lubavitch. The Rebbe Marash told him, a shtaimel truck is not a Lubavitch. And people construed him as a seicher. The assumption was, he was a base of seicher and fun traitor class. The Rebbe Rashab traveled second class, not first class. This was the seicher business, but they call it today in America business class. He traveled business class. And people didn't know who he was in most places. He kept it secret. For the entire seven months that he was in Vienna, I don't think people knew this was the Lubavitcher Rebbe. In those days, he could still get away with it, you know. In any case, and he had a habit of visiting different Batei Medrash. In Vienna at that time, there were many Hasidish Rebbe's who had moved to Austria. And there were many Stieblach and many Schuls. There were the more Ashkenazi type, you know, the more Germanic type Schuls. And then there were the Stieblach, Eastern European, that had spilled over into Austria, Vienna, Vienna, Austria. And the Rebbe had a habit of going to different Stieblach. And it was a Thursday night, the Pashas Mishpatim, and my father came into a stable, and we saw a man, as I said, sitting and learning Chumish with Ivritaj. He was learning Chumish with Yiddish Taj, what we call Beis Yehuda, Yiddish Chumish. But he was not learning it. He was dominating it. He was saying it with such enthusiasm, and such joy, and such passion. We from call, and he was cocking in it. You know, he was really, really, completely engrossed in this exercise. And the Fiji says, my father observed him. My father watched him. And at a certain point, my father walked over to him. And they engaged in a conversation. For an extent, it was a protracted conversation. And the Rebbe says, I wished so much I could get closer to hear what they were discussing. But he wasn't entitled. And later, 
later on that Ebn Satan told him about what they discussed. Pashas Mishpatim is one of the most scholarly Pashas in the Chumash. All the halachas of Nazikin, business law, it's all in Pashas Mishpatim. So the Rebbe Rashad says to the Fidik Rebbe, this young man is a Mirimikitamat Chach. He's a big Talmud, a big lump. By, by the standards of 1903, it's different than today's standards. Today you could read without Shatenstein, your Talmud Chach. There were different standards in those days. He was a big lump, and the Rebbe is presented to get in Lenin. So the Rebbe says to him, I don't understand, you're obviously a Barurian, you're a scholarly man. You're sitting here reading Chumash with Yiddish Taich, like your life depends on it. So he says to the Rebbe, this is a custom that he has for 30 or 40 years, and every Thursday night he goes, and this wasn't learning, this was living. He wasn't reading the Chumash with the Yiddish Taich, because he was a simple person who couldn't do any more. This is his Judaism, like the Chakid, the Chakli Yisrael. You know, he was reading the Yiddish Taich. It was a big time with Chacham. And his learning, that Yiddish Taich, was, was, is about experiencing Taylor, you know. It's a very Hasidic thing. It's a really Hasidic thing. It wasn't about knowledge. It wasn't about knowing. It was about living. Levitikai. There's Arich Hasipur also. There's a story. Arich Hasipur is a Sipur. The Rebbe Rashab, when he made Temchat Mimim, made the Yeshiva, in those days, there was 12 hours of learning. Today we have about 9 hours, maybe 10. But they had officially 12 hours of learning. Two hours of Hasidus in the morning, two hours of Hasidus at night, it ended at 10.30 at night, and eight uninterrupted hours of Nikola. There was no lunch. The Babash ate twice a day, didn't eat three times a day. So from 11.30 in the morning till 7.30 at night, they sat and learned to Nikola. Gemara, I love this. And I heard my brother told me, the Rabbi Yar, once in Yeshiva, and he said to the Bach, when he was on Lubavitch, he says, During, from 11.30 till 7.30, nobody even thought about speaking to Rabbi Taylor. It never crossed their mind to do anything but learn. It, it wasn't even an act of self-control not to waste time. They didn't waste a second. Nobody in the mismanaged. The learning was so serious, was so constant. It, it, it was not, it was, it was no such thing as, would you please stop wasting time when you sit down and learn I do this professionally <laughs> I don't know how you do that professionally but that's what I do um, the, the learning was without a doubt the last half hour from 7 to 7.30 in other words the last half an hour of the 8 hours of the uninterrupted learning nigla was Tanya one of the mashpima gizok Tanya every day half an hour I suppose that in the very beginning of Tamchatim was Reb Handel, the Reb Handel of or Sigmund Noch from the Friedrich, Sigmund Rashbats, Reb Holder Alter, I suppose, of Gizok Tanya. But at a certain point, the Mashpio of Gizok and Alotok Tanya was Reb Greenim. The Mashpia who would, they called it in Yiddish means Zog and Tanya, say Tanya, recite Tanya. A half an hour they would sit and recite Tanya, was of Grenim. Grenim was the big mind of Lubavitch. He was a god in Hasidus, a brilliant intellectual, a master of the philosophy of Hasidus. He davened with a minya. Grenim was not a Maidech, but still he didn't daven long. He was, he was so immersed in Hasidus that he was pushed a chassid from the learning alone. Hasidim had tightness to him. People had tightness to him. It's not important. But Greenim, the Rebbe Shosheidim picked him to be the mashpi of Tamchat Mimim in spite of the tightness. Because Greenim was a moidinik amaskul. But when Greenim said Tanya, 
he, he did what the mandate was. He read and he tried to. When I was in Yeshiva, every Thursday night, Abba Lachai, I say Tanya. In my three years in Altaida, he finished Tanya several times. Because he would sit for a half an hour on a Thursday night and he could read two prakim. He would read and translate. Read the Lachaim saying Tanya, the important thing was that you watched him. He didn't have to understand. He, he, the Lachaim's speech was very difficult. If you remember the Lachaim, it was hard for us to understand him. He spoke very fast. He said very little. But the Lachaim, the Lachaim's Tanya was the Lachaim, you know. But this is how it was in Lubavitch. One of them must be would sit every day, not once a week, and translate Tanya. So in, in a matter of months, they would finish the whole Lukuti Amarim, the whole Shari Khatmur, the whole Gaza Chuban start over again. So if you were in Lubavitch a few years, you heard the same Tanya five, six, seven, eight, ten times. But this was the program. Half an hour a day, all the Bach had to sit around and get in the Gazak Tanya. There was a boy whose name, if I'm not mistaken, was Gershon Simpson. I could be wrong, but his first name, his last name was Simpson. He was the younger brother, huh? He lived here in America, yeah? He was the younger brother of Eliyachal Simpson. His older brother, Rabbi Eichel, was in the Choshevich Tmimim. He was a Choyzer. He used to go into the Rebbe Chetachazal. He was a big cop. And he was his younger brother. He, at a certain point in his Bachram years, had a medical problem. It was either a respiratory problem or... And he needed to have fresh air. And the doctor said to him that half an hour a day he has to relax and he has to get fresh air. So he came to his brother, his older brother, and says, which half an hour should I take off from the Seder? And his brother says, listen, you've been here for a few years, you've heard the Tanya four times already, take off the Tanya. Take off the Tanya. So at seven o'clock he disappeared from the yeshiva. The Mashgiach was Reb Shilin. Reb Shilin Kurati. Reb Shilin is a personality unto himself. He's Kevei Abrochel He's a whole Fabregan unto himself. Reb Shilin was something very, very unusual. He passed away very young. He passed away before the Reb Nishmaseid. He passed away L.O.I. in Tess. And when the Rebbe heard he passed away, the Rebbe cried. He said, Shilin is given a kosher. Rebbe Rashab said, about one of his Talmidim, Shilin was given a kosher. Shilin was kosher. Shilin was something very special. Very, very special. Reb Shilin. Shilim was the Mashgiach of Hasidus. And if Shilim was the Mashgiach, he, he used to make trouble. He wanted the Bacham to learn Hasidus all day long. And the Rosh Hashivas would get angry. <laughs> and in Lubavitch, he was Lebedic. The Fidik Rebbe once said that he's not happy about the fact that the Rosh Hashivas and Mashpim are getting along so well. Because in Lubavitch, the Bacham will learn Hasidus all day long. And the Bacham will learn Gimara and Mitzvah Hasidus too, don't worry. <laughs> the road went both ways. And if Shilim sees that this young man, this Bochet, is missing from the Tanya. So he observes, he notices, he sees a few days. He's consistently absent. Every day he misses a half an hour of Tanya. So he calls him over and says, where are you by Tanya? So he tells him the story. That he has a medical condition. He needs to take a walk and get some exercise. And his older brother, and he decided this was the best half an hour of the day. He's been in Lubavitch for so many years. He's heard this mantra four or five times verbatim. He would read in Taich. There was no big lumbus. There was no deep pulling and interpretations and commentary and, you know, and bellowing. He translated Tanya. So we decided, said he, this would be the half an hour. And Abshilim said, I disagree. To Tanya Dafmanzai. You have to be by Tanya. He said, take any half an hour of the day you want. But Tanya, you have to come to. So 
So the came to do. He went to his big brother, it was protection. His brother was a machid in Lubavitch. His brother wrote Hanoch and said, Hemch Chaim Beis. He went to Grace Copper, Abel Yachal Simpson. He lived here in America. In Lubavitch. In Lubavitch, in those days, he was from the Pe'ed. He was from the, beautiful, from, the, from the most beautiful of the Tmimim. And he says to his brother that Rav Shilim doesn't agree with him. And Rav Shilim, the Mashgiach, is saying he can take off any half an hour he wants, but he has to be by the Tanya. And Rav Shilim was a stubborn man. He was an action. He was a Lubavitcher. <laughs> and uh, there was no place to move. Rav Shilim doesn't... Rav Shilim says... So he argued with Rav Shilim. Rav Shilim was the Mashgiach. The Cheretz they had... So it was decided that Rabbi Simpson, the older brother, would ask the Rebbe, Rashab. Every Shabbos was a Maimit. Friday night was a Maimit. Shabbos morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, the Rebbe would open his door. By this point, the Bacham had reviewed the Maimit a whole night, over and over again. And the handful, select group of the choicest Mimim, they were called the Chayzrim, they would go into the Rebbe for Chazadim. For a review. The tzir of Chazara was as follows. The way the Chazara looked was like this. They would all walk in. Your father, Lechena Levracha, describes how when he came in the first time, the Rebbe asked him, what's he doing here? So Rabbi Yisrael Jacobson. So Rabbi Shilam said, he's from the Chayzrim. So the Rebbe said, but the Chagaret, we agreed there would be only a small group. Do you really need him here? Is he missing? He said, yeah, yeah. They tried to get as many people into the Rebbe. They never wanted to keep it a small group. And the Mashpiyah, if they would have it their way, they'd have the whole yeshiva in the Rebbe's room. Shabbos morning. In any case, it was a big schuss to be from the Chayzrim. And the tzir of Chazara was, the, the, the Rebbe would sit, they would stand, and Shilam would repeat the Maimah. This Mashgiach, Reb Shilam. Reb Shilam gave the Maimah back to the Rebbe word for word, just the way he said it. Reb Shilam was something very special. And the Rebbe would interrupt him, correct him, and there were even cases where Rabshidim would ask a question, and he and the Rebbe Rashad would push have a pilfer discussion. This was Chazara. So after Chazara, Rabbi Simpson approached the Rebbe, he was from the Chayzim, and he said to the Rebbe that uh, there is this question that uh, my brother needs to, ex- needs to exercise, needs to get Rashir, and I su- suggested that he should go during Tanya, and Rabshidim doesn't want to hear of it. So the Rebbe Nishma Satan said, Tanya Habichnish Gemach Amazomelin in Pekum. In Pekum. So Tanya Dafmezah. In other words, Abshilam is right. He says, I didn't create the Shia Tanya to give boys more information. By Tanya you have to be. You have to just be there. In other words, what's the point? You have to be there. You heard it 15 times, I don't care. And he agreed with Rabshilam that he should take off a different half an hour. But the Tanya Dafmazan. In other words, people learn for different reasons. There's learning for learning, and then there's learning what we would call a Chabad for Dabning. Where the learning is not about the knowledge and the information, it's about the Ibn Lebanish. To, to live what you learn. So when the Rebbe Rashab, I'm sorry, when the Rebbe Tzamech Tzedek speaks 
instead of a handle about learning Zayir and learning Medrash and saying Tillim with tears, this is not about Nemen and Pekel. This is not about learning Zayir to have information. This is about learning for the purposes of inspiration. And there's a there's an inyi, you know, you look into my modern Defana Arashim and the Rebbe Shmasayim, he talks about learning Chasidis. And the idea that Chasidis is supposed to touch you. You know, learning Chasidis, it's supposed to be learning not for the purpose of acquiring the knowledge, learning for the sake of being moved. So this is the foundation. He tells them to learn Zayel and to learn Medish and to say Tilim. But this Zayel is not studying and this Medish is not studying. This Zayel is davening and this Medish is davening and this Tilim is davening. So I don't know what, I can't tell you for sure, the significance of these three are. But I'll tell you what I think. Medrash. Medrash. What's Medrash? You ever look inside a Medrash? Hmm. You ever look inside of a Medrash? Halavai. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting interpretations of Sukkim that are very frequently far removed from the Poshitib Shahs. Interesting ideas. Medrash is a Limuz. Now, if you learn Medrash, like the Rebbe Rashab learns a Medrash, a Medrash is a deep scholarly intellectual. Every word of Medrash is, is deep intellect, is enormous scholarship. Al Rebbe writes in Hilchas Talmud Teira, Rav Seides Hatera Gnuzen Ba'Agodes. The Rebbe brings it in many secrets. Most of the secrets of the Teira are hidden in the Agodes. In Medrash, a full Kabbalah. When you read Medrash at face value, it's nice stories, it's nice sheklach, nice ideas. Medrash appeals to the heart. Medrash on a superficial level appeals to the heart. Appeals, in other words, Medrash excites you, it provokes you, maybe it agitates you. You read one page of Medrash, you can have 50 ideas. Medrash is written like Gemara. Every line is a new Medrash, every two lines is a new Medrash, every five lines is a new idea. And a lot of very interesting ideas, odd ideas, strange ideas that you're not familiar with, and the initial impact of Medrash on a person is that it excites you. It excites you in different ways. It can create joy, it can create a positive energy, it can create a frustration, but it touches the heart. In other words, not to study Medish to explain the secrets of the Medish, but simply to read Medish at face value. As you mentioned, Medish is to a considerable degree stories. Medrash and touch your heart. So the Rebbe Rashab is saying, the Rebbe Tzamachzad, says Rebbe Hendel, learn Medrash. Learn Medrash, not for the purpose of understanding the secrets of the Medrash. Learn Medrash, the Medrash can touch you. You know that there's a safer called Tenedena. Tenerene. Tenerene. was written probably 400 years ago in Yiddish. In the old days, women didn't learn at all. At all. There were many women with Mamish didn't know how to daven. And even if they knew how to daven, but that was the extent of their knowledge of the language. And a Yid wrote a safer called Tenerene in Yiddish, in Taich. The Seder of the Pashas, and it's Midrashim, stories. Every Pasha has stories about the Pasha, stories about the Haftarah, and the Rebbetzin in town was the one woman who could read the Yiddish Tenedene. Most women couldn't read, they were illiterate. And all the women would gather in the Vibeshul, and this Rebbetzin, this great scholarette, would read Tenedene, when they throw from the no luck in the fingers. They would clap their hands, they would cry, they would laugh, they would be... Everything that was happening in the Medrash was mirrored by their hearts. Simple, simple people. 
and the Medish touched them. In some places, the town didn't have one woman who knew how to read Yiddish. So many Vibers shows, you're going to laugh, but this is a fact of life, had a big barrel, and a man would climb into the barrel and read the tenet end of my barrel. And in some places, the man would stay in the Vibers show during davening and tell the women what page they're holding to stand to sit. That was the degree of the Amaratis. So one of the Rabbeim said about the Tenerene, the Tenerene gave so much Avas Hashem and so much Yiras Hashem, so much Chibas Hatere, so much Avas Tisrov. The Tenerene was a book written for simple, simple people. But it saturated generations of Jews, Mamish, hundreds of years of Yidin, millions and millions of people. And we're the product of those millions of people. Hashem and fear of Hashem and a love of Tate and a love of a fellow Jew in a way that all the printed chasen, you know, couldn't equal. This is Medrash. Medrash touches the heart. Zoyar, he says, Mereme Mesanefesh. Zoyar is a spiritual limud. Zoyar so is learning about spiritual things. The first rule in learning about spiritual things is that you can't relate to them. We're not spiritual beings. We're physical beings. Yes, we have a spiritual side. We have a nefesh, we have an ishrama. But this is a real physical world. Learning Zayhat forces the person to go from his world into a spiritual world. I mentioned this to you last week, I believe. Right, we have Taita. The Pasuk says, Hishlich, Mishamayim, Eretz, Tefedes, Yisrael. The Ibish just threw down from the heavens to the earth the honor, the beauty of the Jewish people. This goes on the Taita. And as the Gemara says, Taita lay Bashamayim. Taita was given to us in an unheavenly way. Taita is an earthly Taita. And the whole design and structure of the Taita is to appeal to our reality. It deals with our lives, our bodies, our clothes, our home, our environment, our communities, our cities, our world. But then there's a higher Tater, Tater Bashamayim, a heavenly Tater. Zoyhar is the level of the Tater, if you will, as it's learned in Ghanaian, as it's not modified to accommodate our reality. So when you learn Kabbalah and you learn Zoyhar, you have no choice but to go away from your world and to go into its world, because he's not going to come to you. Kabbalah, Pnimiyasa Tater, does not descend. You either ascend to it or not, don't relate to it. So the Limur, the study of Zoyhar, uplifts. It uplifts because it's forcing you away. Musir, Musir, ethics, Taita ethics, comes down to you. It speaks about your Yetzir Hara. It addresses your attributes, your emotions, your refinement of character or lack thereof. Hasidus doesn't do that. Hasidus doesn't speak about the Yitzhara. speaks about the Ebishter, about the Ruchnius. And you're forced to be lifted up. So the Rebbe Tzermosadik says to Rebbe learn Zayhad for the purposes of being uplifted, to be exalted. And this is not learning to understand. This is learning to experience light, to experience Lichtekeit. The Medish appeals to the heart and the Zayhad appears to the psyche, to the soul, this of the person. He was a very great chassid, and he was a gore not. He was not a simple person. His name was Reb Noten. I told you about Reb Noten. I think he's mentioned in Ayim Yim. And when we get to him, I'll waste time telling you about him too. We need it. But maybe he still goes into hell. Reb Noten was a rov in a city in Russia whose name is impossible to pronounce. Mal 
Stretchne, something like that. Mal Stretchne, something, whatever, I don't know. No one's worried about it in particular. I can't pronounce the name of the Shtetl of Israel. Another was Amir Nigechosid. He was a big goan. But his trademark was Bittel. Rebnato was a scoop on the dresses, mamish. He was a doormat. If you stood on his head, he wouldn't say, ow. You know, they tell a famous story. They tell the Musta Sipur. That the Alter Rebbe was in the house of a Misnagid. Alter Rebbe, I think Alter Rebbe was in the house of a Misnagid. The Misnagid was a real Misnagid, a Shani Yisroh. Pardon my candor. And he had a table with a broken leg. The bottom of one of the tables lost, broke off a piece, and the table was limping. So he took the safer name of the Melech, for the Melech Mulejent, put the Munta Gestalt, he put it on the floor so the table's pronounced. The name of the Melech was one of the earliest Hasidic works ever published, way before Tanya. The first Hasidic ever say, printed was the Toldus Svarim, the Bepeyes Yesif. But the name of the Melech passed away in Memvav. The name of the Melech passed away 11 years before the Tanya was printed. And his father printed, I think, Bachayim. From the earliest Hasidic works, the name of So he asked the Alter Rebbe, what can you tell me about the Mechaber and the Sefer I have here on the floor? So Alter Rebbe said that if you would put him onto the leg of your table, he'd be just as silent. So that's the name of the Melech. If you would take him physically and use him to support your table, he would be as quiet as his book is. Reb Nata was such a chassid. He was a big mind, a big heart. He was cool at Ruchnius. He was not exactly an Elam Haza. He was a Rav. He had a kahila, had responsibilities to people. But he himself was mamish, holy, holy, holy. Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish. And there's many stories about Reb Nata. There are many stories, some interesting stories about Reb Nata, which I'll tell you a different time. But Reb Nata had a strange habit. He had Gebunden Nechassidis. These are ideas that today are so strange, we can't even relate to them. There were printed volumes of Hasidis, not that many. Who can afford a printed book? A printed book was two weeks' wages, or a week and a half. It was very expensive. So it was copied. Yeshivin, a hand copied manuscripts. So if a person had a collection of written Hasidis, he didn't want to get lost or to get scattered, whatever it was. He would bring these papers to the bookbinder. And he would ask the bookbinder to bid them. And the bookbinder was a good panos. In those days, Svarim, when they were printed, were not automatically bound. When you bought a saver from the printing press, it came in an envelope or in a, in a piece of paper, not bound, just loose. And if you couldn't afford it, you put it in a rubber band, and that's how you owned the saver. You got rich, you took it to the bookbinder. It was a whole new expense to bind the saver. So bookbinders had a panos. It was a, you know, a, a, a book that was bound by a bookbinder in those days lasted a hundred years. Not like this, you open up a city and a page pops out. You turn the page, another page pops out. You know, today the cheap binding with the glue. But it was a, a, a book that was bound, you know, it lasted three lifetimes. And these bookbinders, they, they were very proud of their work. They finished their book, you know, it was sick out of it. So he had Ksavim, he had Chasidus. He took it to the bookbinder to bind. When you take it to the bookbinder, you have to organize it. Because once it's bound, it's bound. So he takes his pages of Chasidus, he brings it to the bookbinder, the bookbinder takes a look, and he says, that not that there's no organization here. The pages had no connection. He says, it doesn't matter, bind it like it is. 
And Abnata used to, how did he learn Hasidus? He would open up this book, wherever it opened, and he would start at the top of the page. Right in the middle of a sentence, he would read. Turn the page, no union, no relationship whatsoever. And Abnata would sit and read as Abraham Slavos. And understand like this if Abnata was Aish Pashid, Abnata didn't know anything. And his connection to the Sefer was, I don't know what, emotional or spiritual. But Abnata was a God. He was a brilliant man. You're learning, but there's no point. There's no continuity. So he said, Chassidus is always. Not the Fajr. Chassidus is always. Chassidus is lichtikai. Chassidus is light. It doesn't matter whether I, there's a continuity of the idea. Chassidus is always. When he learned to mind Chassidus, he didn't learn to understand. He learned to feel. And it doesn't make a difference what's, what page you're holding and the, how the, the idea progresses as long as you can feel the lichtekeit, the oil of the idea. When the rabbi, the Samachtarik, says that he learned Zoyad, he wasn't telling to learn Zoyad to understand. Learn Zoyad for Israel to be uplifted, to go from here to a world of light. Learn Medrash, not to sit and study the Medrash and analyze the language of the Medrash, to feel the emotional touch of the Medrash. To say, Tilimitren, Tilimitren speaks for itself. It's not about understanding the translation of the words. It's not about getting into the subtlety and the nuance of the language of the Tilim. It's about being excited to the point where there's a spillover. The mind can't contain it and the person cries. Like I told when there's a when the brain cannot tolerate what the person experiences, the person cries. So this is, if you will, the final thought of this Hayyam Yayim. We discussed at length who the Pendel was. We spoke about the significance of this statement. We spoke about this last week and two weeks ago. So I just wanted to offer some thoughts. And again, I, I don't know if my interpretations are correct. I will say this. I don't make it up. You know, the question is whether the correlation, whether it fits here or not. In other words, whether this was the Tzemach Tzadik's intentions or not. I don't know. But in any case, this is the, the final thoughts of this. Uh, yeah, yeah, 